Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, everybody here, everybody online. Most of you know my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, so as you know, we're working through the Psalms, and today we're going to kind of look at Psalms 111 and 112, and they're, they're directly related to each other. So what do we mean by that? So they're what we call a pair of ABC Psalms. Um, and so what that means is they're similar in form. Each begins with praise the Lord or hallelujah in the Hebrew. Uh, they each consist of 22 lines divided into 10 verses, and there are alphabetical acrostics, which means that every line starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet and goes in order from the uh, beginning to the end, so to speak, like A to Z, you would think, uh, as far as what we would think about it. And they're very much complementary. The focus on Psalm 111 is all about God and his mighty works. Um, and the, that of uh, 112 is on humans in their relationship to God. The, um, they've been described as a, a diptych. Now, I know that's an art term, but basically what it means is they're the hinged panels where the image on the left and the image on the light are related to each other. So, for instance, you might see one where a portrait of a, a, a wife and a husband, where they on either side of a panel that's hinged together. Or you'll see them in religious terms, you'll see one like the, uh, the uh, Mary and uh, Jesus on two sides of the panel. So that's this Psalm 111 and 112 are related like that. They're, they look at each other. Um, in this case, you know, God is on one side and the believer is on the other. And... Um, so it's interesting, you'll see there's a lot of it repeats in both of the Psalms, right? So uh, in 111, uh, verse 3, we see righteousness endures forever. And in Psalm 112, we see that God's people, their righteousness endures forever. Uh, in 111, verse 4, it says that God is gracious and merciful. And in 112, it says God's people are gracious and merciful. So in other words, God's people are like God. They have behaviors that they have gotten from God. Um, and it makes sense, right? We're supposed to be a reflection of our creator. Um, and I like to think of it as the idea that, that we, we, are, uh, we were created in the image of God, and we're, trying, we're in a sense returning back to that clean image, that original image. Yeah, we have sin, we have a process that we're going through. We talked about this last week as you develop toward more Christ-likeness. Um, but it's a process, but your goal um, is to become more and more like Christ. Um, so in a sense, it's returning to that cleanness that was there at the original creation uh, in our image with God. So God is holy and righteous, and we're supposed to be holy and righteous. And we talked about it last week. We're imputed a certain amount of holy and righteousness uh, through our salvation in Jesus Christ, but we're also striving to become more holy and righteous um, as we go through the process. And there's um, similarities within the Psalms. There's also some differences. So the, the, the key verse in Psalm 111 reads, Praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So along with the praise goes the study of the works of the Lord. So this reflects kind of a long history among Jewish and Christian congregations where we study the works of the Lord, all the amazing things that God did. 
you know, I, I saw that the, in the video, we think of all the amazing things that God did um, as a witness to his people of his mighty works, of what he's capable of doing. Um, and he's done amazing things throughout history, uh, and we are to delight in them. Um, there's nothing tedious about it. There's nothing burdensome about studying God's great works. It should bring us delight. We should be excited to read about the things um, that God did um, in his people, whether it's through uh, the Old Testament or in Jesus in the New Testament, the work of the Holy Spirit, all these things. We see these great works that God has done. Um, in the um, Psalm 112, the, the key here is in uh, verse number one. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So um, on one side, there is the idea that we believe in God and we look upon his great works, the scale and logic of his creation, the immensity of it. I was interested that um, recently when this uh, new telescope got uh, launched and they decided they could finally look beyond what the last big telescope in space and they expected they would see the beginning, and they didn't. All they saw was more of the same, um, that the universe just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Um, the, the immenseness of his work and his power over uh, time and, and um, existence, that he's, he's everywhere all the time. And, and uh, it's, it's just an amazing thing. And we're supposed to find extreme pleasure in that, right? That's our foundation. We talked about that last week in the sense that we're anchored to that God. Um, this amazing, powerful God. Um, and the, um, likewise, we're to take pleasure in receiving instruction from God, right? The Bible is full of instruction. I was, it was amazing. Uh, a long time ago, I was working with some folks at a, a place called Fort Grant. It was a, it was a place for wayward young teen boys. Um, and it was a state function, so they couldn't use the Bible um, as a religious tool, but they did use it as a book of instruction. Um, they said, well, I mean, there's nothing in here that you should be doing that's contrary to good behavior. Um, this is how you should be living your life, even if you don't believe in God. And it's, of course, we believe in God, so it works great for us. And again, we should be take pleasure in receiving instruction from this amazing God. Uh, we read in Acts 26, verse 14, and we had... Fallen, had we all fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And you know, originally when I heard that, I was like, what in the world is a goad? Um, it, it, it's, it's certainly not a term we're used to. Well, a goad is um, a sharp stick that a farmer would use to keep his oxen going in the right direction. So instead of, you know, hitting them or anything like that, he would just poke them in the direction he wanted them to go, and they would go, um, because they didn't like getting poked with a stick. Well, if the ox got fed up with it, it would try to kick the stick out of the farmer's hand, hence kicking against the goads. Um, and we hear here in, in uh, you know, the Lord is talking to Saul, who is becoming Paul, and it's like, why have you been fighting with me? Why are you kicking against the direction? This is where you're going. And I kind of wonder when I read through this, I wonder what else had happened before that with um, Saul, had God tried to reach him before, and he just kept refusing the guidance that he had, so finally 
Jesus said, okay, we're going to get your attention in a big way, and he did, right? So I don't know the exact details, and obviously we can't interview him. So, but the interesting part, like I said, is when God's trying to give you direction, don't kick against it. Take the light in those instructions. Um, and so there's some other links between the two Psalms. The um, Psalm 111 ends with one of the themes of wisdom literature. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and Psalm 112 begins by saying that the way for humans to find happiness is to begin with an attitude of reverence or fear toward God. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord. Um, so basically, if you want to do, grow in Christ-likeness, um, you must fully submit to God in all of his glory. You have to recognize this incredible power in uh, holiness and righteousness of God. And in knowing that that's who he is, happily submit to his instruction, to his obey his guidance, because he, we know, therefore, he wants what's best for us. Um, and so both Psalms have a lot of instructional components in it. In other words, they tell you what that behavior looks like. What does following God look like? Um, and so the, um, we think about it in, uh, if you remember, there's, uh, I should have written it down, verse we talk about where Paul talks about running the good race, right? In that we are following through with what God wants us to do. We are running the race. Uh, and there's going to be bumps along the way. There's going to be things that get there. But our goal is where we're going. We know where we're going to. And so we're running the good race. So the first question I want to answer, um, I want to ask and inevitably answer, I should say, uh, what does it mean to fear the Lord? <laughs> so, um, you know, we talk about that um, instruction in faith and life takes place in an atmosphere of worship and fear of the Lord. So when we think about the word fear, what normally comes to mind, right? So we think about the idea that um, something that maybe startles us or concerns us. Um, uh, and, and fear is one of those things that comes to everybody. Brave people and cowardly people both experience fear. Um, it comes to the faithful and the faithless. Fear is a natural thing. Um, it can be a good thing. It can keep your eyes posted out for bad things that might happen to you. You know, if you're out taking a walk and you're being followed by a pack of wolves, you should be concerned. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That's normal. That's the reaction we're going to have. So fear is not an unnatural reaction, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, um, we have to be aware of it. I remember one time I was mixing concrete, and um, the, I was busy going through my task and whatnot, and there was this familiar yet uh, unexpected sound. Um, and I knew the sound was clearly not coming from the concrete mixer, but I knew the sound. And I looked, and sure enough, down at my foot was a large rattlesnake um, who had been upset by the fact that I had disturbed where he was resting in this pallet of concrete uh, when I was mixing it. And so he was not happy. Um, and being that he was very near my feet, um, I decided to gracefully back up, uh, and hopefully he did not do anything until I could deal with the situation on my own terms. Uh, but that's a, a natural amount of fear. I mean. Uh, I like rattlesnake, but grilled, not next to me. Um, <laughs> so the, um, and so and again, we go through that process of fear. It's, it's a natural thing that we go through. Um, 
Fear teaches us to respect our elders, our parents, our bosses, right? Lest we have consequences that we don't want to have. Um, we know that there's reasons to do what we should do. Fear reminds us of our limits, um, or should. I remember when I was a kid, I was convinced my cardboard wings would save me as I jumped off the roof. Um, I was incorrect. Um, I should have had more fear. Um, some people say, yeah, it was not the law of gravity that was the problem. It was gravity itself. Um, anyway, so the, um, we need to be mindful that fear is natural, but we have to be controlled about fear, right? I mean, there's a reasonable amount of fear, um, but you shouldn't be panic-stricken all the time. You shouldn't always be fearful. Uh, my mom is one who worries about everything. She's always worried about all this stuff, and I'm like, Mom, what are you afraid of? It's not going to happen. You know, we talk about fear, false expectations appearing real. We start thinking all these things that might happen. Well, they probably won't happen, so stop worrying about them. Um, all right, so is that the fear that God is talking about? So we read in verse 1 of one twelve: Praise the Lord, blessed is the person who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So in this case, when we talk about fear, we're not talking about to be afraid of. The Hebrew word for fear is yira. Um, and unfortunately, this is another one of those circumstances where English doesn't do a very good job at translating the original languages. Um, and so yira can be, it depends on where you look at it in scripture, but it can be translated several different ways. Fear, hold in awe, uh, hold for respect, hold in reverence. Um, but so you get the idea, it's, it's not like to be scared of, it's, it's this honest of it all. Um, and so we see a good example of that in Exodus 19 and 20, right? So recall what happens, right? So God has rescued his people. They've gone through the desert, through, you know, parted the seas and all this kind of stuff. Um, and he showed them his power, right? Water from rocks, manna from heaven. He's showing them all this stuff and all this power that he has. Um, and then... Um, they get to Mount Sinai, and he's going to give them the Ten Commandments, right? So if you recall the story, right, he gets up there, and they get to Mount Sinai, and there's these, you know, big clouds and bolts of lightning and, you know, scary stuff, right? And so we're going to pick this up here in chapter 20, uh, verse 18. And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you will not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So you can, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, so you can just imagine this, the picture, right? So here's all these people huddled around the mountain. They're looking up, and there's this, you know, terrible, you know, this big cloud and whirling around. And, and I was like, if you've ever seen the original Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, right? It had this big scary cloud and bolts of lightning and all the sort of stuff that's happening. Um, and they're scared. They're like, woo. And, and it's interesting, if you've watched a lot of science fiction movies, that picture is there, right? I remember in Ghostbusters, right? This big swirling cloud, this really bad thing was about to happen, 
right? And so that picture of being fearful when you see that sort of a thing, it's a natural reaction. It's like, ooh, that's scary. It looks pretty big, you know? But I think to me, when I look at that, God was putting these people in tension. He wanted them to realize, I am God and you're not. Big God, little people. I've got this, and I'm about to give you instructions. Oh, my little ear thingy doesn't want to work today. Uh, so we got big God, little people, um, and God's about to give them instruction. And so it makes sense that he's showing his awe and majesty right before he hands them down instruction, right? So they should want to follow this instruction, right? Um, so God is in control. And he's showing them, I've got this. I like to say God is driving the bus. People ask you, well, why are you, so, why are you not concerned about stuff? Well, because I'm not driving the bus. I'm on riding on the bus. God's driving the bus, and I don't know exactly where it's going to go, and I don't know what's going to happen on the bus while we go there, but I'm confident that he's driving the bus. And whatever shows up, he can handle. He's got it. And so the, the um, confidence in the power of God gives us comfort, and we don't have to be afraid. Um, again, God is more than capable to handle everything that um, might come along, right? It just makes sense. Uh, now, when you think of fearing the Lord, that sounds like kind of an odd way for God to address stuff, right? Because if you think about it in the scripture, so many times when God shows up, what's the first thing he says? Do not be afraid. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to fear you and not be afraid. Um, so, you know, like I said, it sounds a little bit like a, a contradiction. But in really, it makes sense, again, if you go back to, your pl back to the place where you're watching God on Mount Sinai, right? Do not be afraid. Look at my majesty. Look at my power. And I've got you. I love you. You're mine. You shouldn't be worried about what's going to happen next. I've got this power. Um, so while the image is scary, uh, and of course it's used in the movies as a precursor for bad things about to happen, with God it's not a bad thing that's about to happen, it's a good thing that was about to happen. Um, and so, for example, um, think about the shepherds, right? We read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for which uh, will be for all the peoples. Now, again, you could imagine this, right? So we got some shepherds out kicking it back, watching the stars, you know, sheep are doing their thing, you know, life is really cool. And boom, this angel shows up, and announces himself. What was the first reaction? Yeah, they were scared. They're like, oh my gosh, this is bad. You know, God just showed up. Something bad is going to happen. And they, what's the first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Um, so the natural reaction from the shepherds is to be fearful. And the first thing God tells them is don't be afraid. Um, and so once they realized that the angel was not to be feared, but to be obeyed, they're okay. And what do they do? They do what they're told, right? They go, okay, angel, not scary, gave me direction, gave me instructions, this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm gonna go do it. I'm not gonna worry about the consequences, I'm just gonna do what I'm told. 
Um, and so we see that in numbers of places in, in the Bible. And, and um, uh, another good example is in Mark's gospel when the disciples are, are uh, in a boat uh, to go to Bethsaida. So we start in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 51. <clears throat> it says, And immediately Jesus had his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. And while it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, uh, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him wa walking on the sea, they thought that there was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. Now this has a lot of really cool parts in it. First of all, you realize that Jesus walks fast because these guys were in the boat. They'd been rowing, and he walks and catches up. So, you know, he moves along, right? So they're doing what they're told. They're out there, and they're, they're straining at the oars. The winds are blowing, you know, and it's a big sea. And so there's, you know, you can imagine waves and all that kind of stuff. It's dark, um, and they're like, you know, going through this, this, this event, um, and the, um, they look out, and they see this, body walking toward them well they're like oh my gosh they think it's a ghost they're scared they're like it's already a scary event because they're out there in the middle of the you know the sea they're both rowing the winds are blowing and all of a sudden this figure seems to be walking through the night and and uh, the, it, so you can see how they're going to have this natural reaction uh, of being fearful um but again it's not a ghost and jesus tells them not to fear um, and then I think the really cool part is, and he goes, oh, by the way, I'm still in charge, turns the wind off. <laughs> you know, that's, they got to be, oh, good. You know, he's got this. I love the other, there's another one where he, he's sleeping in the boat and there's this massive storm and he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> I got this, right? So it's, um, again, so the disciples realize that Jesus, uh, that Jesus, and they don't have to be afraid and they can get on the journey across the sea, which is what they were told to do. They were in obedience when this happened. They were doing what God told them to do, what Jesus told them to do. Row across the, the sea here, on beach in Bethsaida. Um, so what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means that we're supposed to hold God in referential awe. Um, that we are not to be afraid to do what we're commanded to do. Because he is good, holy, righteous, and in control. And he loves us. He's not going to ask us to do anything which is not in our best interest, right? So we don't have to fear the Lord in the sense of, of scariness. No, we fear the Lord because we recognize his awe, his power, his control, and that he loves us. All right, so the second question then is, what are we afraid of? So fear can be a tool, right? Uh, but it can also warp and manipulate us. Throughout history, people have attempted to manipulate faith through fear. Now, I, I, I'm, well, I'm not, there's a lot of you that are my age and some, quite a few that are younger. In the old days, um, we would have fire and brimstone messages. 
Uh, yeah, I can see some people shaking their heads, right? They would get up there, and it was all about fire and brimstone. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. It was all about fear. I grew up Catholic, and I, again, I, 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 you know, I used to think of God as this giant version of whack-a-mole. And he was just like, going, wham, wham. You know, it was, and it was all about fear of the Lord because of consequences. You know, if you don't do what you're told, you're not going to like it. It's going to be fire and brimstone and stuff. Right? And so we read in Psalm 11, verses 5 and 6, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and his soul hates one who loves violence. He will rain coals of fire upon the wicked, and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. So you can see this being up there, and, and you're sitting there going, Oh, I don't want any of that. I better do what God tells me to do. Um, and the focus was on the fear of hell, not the joy of heaven. Right? It was all about, oh my gosh, what is God going to do to me? What are the consequences of not doing what I'm told to do? And that's not what Jesus is about. Jesus is about relationship. It's about spending time with him. Um, it's about listening to him. It's not about being worried that all of a sudden you're going to do something and whack, you're going to get hit. So again, this fear of uh, you know, fire and brimstone fear is not the fear that the psalmist is calling for. Um, the disciples, again, are on the boat, the wind's against them, uh, and they're having problems crossing over to the other side. They were doing their best to do exactly what Jesus told them to do, right? They were in the boat trying to get across as they best know. They are counter to the winds, and if you've ever been on a sailboat, you can't go directly into the wind, obviously, because the push, especially back then, they didn't have the design of boats we have today. You can go upwind, but you can't go directly upwind. And so if you're trying to fight the wind, the only choice they have is to drop the sails and go to the oars um, and try to power their way through the way the wind is blowing. So here they are, they're going across to doing everything they can possibly do, but the circumstances aren't matching their expectations, right? Things are not going the way they think they should go. Um, they had to feel tired and abandoned. Um, they're out there all alone. You know, why did Jesus ask us to do this? He obviously, Jesus is Jesus. He knows it's going to be this huge wind. He knows we're going to be fighting against this. Why did he ask us to do this? Um, you know, where is he? You know, he decided to go off to the mountain while we're rowing across. We really need him right now. Where's he at? Um, and then, so the, the, the disciples, stricken with fear, um, see Jesus walking on the water calling out, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. You can imagine their hearts going, oh, he's here, <laughs> amen, right? Um, so when fear is the most appropriate response to present circumstances, Jesus triumphantly declares, do not be afraid. And that's kind of the world we live in. There's chaotic moments in our life when the winds and the seas are bashing against our boat, when the things that we're trying to do that God has directed us to do are being hammered away, that we're finding difficulty. Um, and Jesus continues to say, do not be afraid. Continue on. Christ is there with us on the rocky boats of life circumstances. Um, he listens to our prayers. The Holy Spirit moves in every one of us to help transform us um, into the world uh, of God's kingdom. So the disciples, the Israelites that were singing Psalm 112, all of us are not called to be motivated by fear, but powered by faith and motivated by love. 
Right? We don't have to worry about what's going on around us. And it, we live in a world today that is all about that. There is so much fear and angst and stuff going on in the world. It's easy to get wrapped up in that. It's easy to move your focus off of what we're being told to do and how we're supposed to live and get caught up in all the noise of the world. Um, but that's not what we're called to do. You know, the disciples didn't leave everything to follow God because they've been promised hard days and suffering, right? No, they've been called to live a new life, to abandon their life as fishermen and now become, let's say, fishers of men, to walk with Jesus Christ, right? And they had tough times. Everything wasn't rosy, right? There was things that were going to happen that were not good, but that's okay. God's in charge. God's doing it. They were doing what they were supposed to do, following the way that they were supposed to follow. So, you know, we have to see the world through a lens of faith, free of the tyranny of the world. We have to know that God's got this. It's easy to sit there and look at all the things that are going on in the world and thinking, I hear it all the time, right? Oh, the world is going to end. Yes, it is, actually. When? I don't know. Oh, but we can see it, wars and fears of wars and storms and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. And? Are you still doing what God's commanded you to do? Are you hiding and worrying about what's going to happen next? Um, people without fear are those that are fully open to the troubles and needs of our fellow human beings. We're there for each other to carry and lift each other up. We read in verses um, 112, verses 2 to 9. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. It goes well for a person who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment, for he will never be shaken. The righteousness will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is firm. He will not fear, but will look with satisfaction on his enemies. He has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Now, this may initially sound like a prosperity gospel, but that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's trying to imply. Um, it's saying that the relationship that exists between us and God, not us and the world, right? Because when you read through parts of this, you think, well, that's not what's happening. Well, it is happening between you and God. It's not happening, though, between you and the world. Um, so we have, for instance, we read in verse 3, right? It says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Well, our wealth and riches are not here. It's up there. Our wealth and riches are in heaven, and they'll last forever, unlike stuff here. Stuff here rusts and falls away and gets lost and ruined, and it doesn't matter. It's all in the noise. Um, but our true treasure lies in heaven. You know, and people seem to follow this idea um, that everything has to be wonderful and here. It's not what it says, right? So if you're fully open to the troubles and needs of your fellow human beings, you as the psalmist writes will rise in darkness as a light for the upright. Right? We read in verse 4, light shines in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. Our hearts are secure and firm in the Lord, and we will not be afraid 
because the Lord is with us. Right? We remember what we talked about last week in Psalm 15. We are anchored to God. We are not, will not be shaken. We are good to go. We can trust in the Lord. We read in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. By this love, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, we are also in this world. But there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We don't fear bad news because we know God has our back. We're safely anchored to God. This allows us to love one another, allows us to strive for justice, allows us to celebrate peace. It allows us to take our faith seriously and not take ourselves too seriously. Um, and right now what we need more than fear is a little bit of laughter, a little bit of fun, joy in the Lord, happiness in the Lord. Right? Happiness is the church that contains those who follow Jesus Christ. I think it's great we're having a Super Bowl party. Woohoo! Let's go have fun. Right? We don't live in a world of fear. We live in joy and peace and happiness with Jesus Christ. Yes. The disciples struggle, but they live an amazing life in the presence of the Lord, and we can too. Until we laugh together about the excitement of our faith, the fear of God will remain in many of us. But Happy are those who fear the Lord because they realize that God's love is incredible. We fear God's love because we recognize that we do not deserve it, and yet he loves us. We fear God for welcoming us into a journey because we have so little to contribute, but he's there nonetheless. And we fear God for inviting us into a place to be loved when we feel unlovable. But we worship a mighty God, a God of great power, a God of great guidance. There's nothing to be afraid of. Please stand for this responsive prayer. Thank you, Lord God, for you hear our prayers as we call out to you in our despair. And we are not afraid. You hear us and rescue us from our distress as you work your mighty will for our best. You lift us up out of all that weighs us down and set us securely on the everlasting rock of salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, our Lord rescues us from all that binds us and you give us an eternal home of joy with you. We will not. You will fill our hearts with your presence, giving us all a new song to sing, a wonderful song of praise to the Lord. You have given salvation to the many as we put our trust in you, O Lord. We will fear the Lord and serve him. We will listen to his voice and not rebel against the commands of the Lord. And so we will not be afraid. Amen.